the Driven Women's Guide to Love, Life, and Business. Hosted by the boss ladies Alex and Gabby. Combined, their network gathers an array of women from various industries who exemplify strength and tenacity. Their fun and positive approach to life will awaken the boss in you. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Javiera Palmaceda has more than 15 years of experience in the entertainment industry managing different content-related departments for various international media companies. She is currently the creative lead for Amazon Originals in Spanish-speaking Latin America. Javiera was also the studio creative lead for FIFA gate drama El Presidente, created by Armando Bo, the political talk show Pan y Circo, hosted by Diego Luna, as well as El Juego de las Llaves, Un Extraño Enemigo, De Viaje con los Derbez, and many more. Javiera was also part of the team that launched Amazon Prime Video in the regions. Welcome back to another episode of Girls Gone Boss. If this is your first time listening, we are your host, Alex and Gabby. And today there might or might not be any wine in my tumbler. Gabby, how are you? <laughs> I definitely don't have wine in my tumbler, but I have some tea, detox tea. I am on a diet, bitch. Yes. <laughs> are you really? Why? I, yes, I've already lost eight pounds. So... I'm going to keep going. Every detox, you know, bring it along. Whoever's listening, if you know any di other diets, I will add on to it. No, but honestly, I I gained the pandemic pounds that, you know, it's like almost like the freshman 15. Well, the pandemic 15, I got it, girl. Okay, well, I, on the side, you got to tell me. that's the only thing I got. Well, you yeah. got to tell me on the side because I need to lose the last 10 baby pounds weight. Well, I'll tell you. I think what helped is I have a trainer, a virtual trainer, and then I... Yeah cut out dairy and I cut out poultry and meat. So I, I'm pescatarian pretty much and okay. no dairy. Okay. But, yeah. but that's because of my allergies. Remember my allergies? Yes. But I'm um, allergic to the world. I can't, I can't do any of that. I can't give up dairy. I'm sorry. I, I live off of cheese. I can't do it. There's no way. I know. I don't know. It just actually makes me feel bad. It, it gives me like, like, It just makes me feel bad. Like my body rejects it. So okay. it kind of works out. So eight pounds less. So I'm going to go for another seven. And so I'm doing fantastic. So no wine on my tumbler yet. But as soon as I get to the minus 15, I'm going to reward myself. Well, good for you. So, I'm whatever, very happy for you. <laughs> thank you. And anybody struggling with like a diet, I feel you 100%. But I'm excited for today. We have another MTV alum. We have so many amazing people out of MTV that we're still, like, follow and keep up with. And, you know, Javiera's one of them. Alex, do you want to do the do the yes. intro? Javiera, how are you? How's everything? How are you guys? Good. I'm feeling the 19 COVID pounds because I hear you. <laughs> But It's I do hard. not have that. I do not have the self-discipline Gabby has. Me neither. So I'm not Bro, giving this is that a year dairy, down. sugar, nada. <laughs> so I remember, I remember back when we were in our cubicles at MTV, Gabby always had the, um, oh my God, those shakes. She always was drinking the shakes. What were they? The Herbalife. Herbalife. She lived off of Herbalife. I don't anymore because it has too much soy. So that's not good. Oh, but you were super committed back then. So I come yeah, you I was, for that. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, I've been on a forever diet. This yeah. is horrendous of my life. This is my life. But Javiera, how have you been? Tell us what's good with you. How's well, the thanks. pandemic treating you aside from? I think, I mean, you know, everyone, um, first of all, thanks you guys for having me on here. And just to be... Um, Just to clarify a little thing, I always feel people think I worked at MTV. I just hung out with you guys a yeah. bunch. 
<laughs> you know what? You were absolutely right. I really thought you worked with us. Yeah, yeah my, my, yeah. I think I hung out a little too much. Two really good friends there, and always like such an amazing vibe. So. I was an honorary was MTV alum. Thank you. Thank you. It's okay. You. I, was, gonna, I was gonna cut that I'm gonna out. Take so it. It's okay. Oh, I'm gonna take it. <laughs> Yo, I really could have sworn you worked there for a sec, but you're right. We we can get into that. It's so funny. I I totally missed that. No, but, it's not it's, it's not just you, Gabby. A lot of people do it. Even people who didn't work at MTV think I think I used to work there. Well, you're the because honorary she, MTV employee, so it's okay. Awesome. <laughs> I'm in t- I'm seriously taking it. But just for context and for people listening, it's because her husband happened to be like the big boss there. And so she was like the yeah. big boss's big boss. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> And I was his assistant and I love that man. He is fantastic. Yeah, I Fernando love Fernando. Guy. He's fantastic and I miss him all the time. He has a genius creative mind. So I, we love your husband. Yes. Yeah. He's, He's a good guy. And you know, he boomeranged back, right? He's back yes. at my call. Oh, yeah. I saw that. I saw the yeah. announcement on LinkedIn. Yes. Yeah. Good job. Congrats yeah. to him. Amazing. Yep. He's super so happy. Let's talk Anyways. about you, though. Yeah. How, let's, let's start from the beginning. So what inspired your love for film and television? So it's such a funny question. Um, and it's one that I always ask when I'm interviewing people who are part of my team. Um, I'm a TV addict. Um, I grew up as probably a lot of people in my generation with two working parents, came home from school, um, would put something in the microwave and MTV had just started. HBO had just started, you know, so I was totally addicted to television. It was me and my brother watching whatever we could watch. I mean, from like Family Ties, Cosby Show. I think I watched all of Gilligan's Island. I can't even tell you guys. I remember. I still remember the first HBO movie that they made for the service. Um, it's like the Terry Fox story. And um, me and my brother and I, when the old HBO song would come on, go da na 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 na. We would turn the lights off in the house and run around, just excited that a movie was coming on. So I'm just an an addict. And I didn't um, figure out that there was a real, that this was a real job until like much later in life. So I have the same, the same type of, of like, um, when I was a child, I was incredibly addicted to television to the point that my parents were a little bit concerned. So instead, because they just could not pry me away from that TV, they would literally unplug that TV whenever they would leave for the day and they would leave me with my brother to babysit, they would come home and put their hand on top of the TV to see if it was hot, whether or not I watched TV. And I would always get in trouble. So I started getting some little tricks knowing like, okay, turn the TV off an hour before they come home so that they wouldn't know. But I I was also super addicted to television. And it's funny how we manifest like those types of things, right? You were so obsessed with television and then and you remember HBO, you remember MTV and then that became your career. Same thing with your brother and then same thing with me. Gabby, the same way. She knew she wanted to be somehow involved in entertainment at a very young age and we just manifest these, these careers for us. Yep. Yeah, totally. I think it took me, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I love that you had, you touched the TV. Like well, our grounding was we weren't allowed to watch television. What was your what was your first industry job like? So how did you actually get involved in working in television from it being a passion of yours? 
So it's funny because like I studied, I have, I'm an econ major and I did the route of the traditional route out of uh, college into like investment banks and worked at JP Morgan and mergers and acquisitions, um, made incredible money really young, spent it all on my friends uh, and um, nothing got burnt out. Um pretty young and things happened and a friend of mine who was opening his own finance consulting in Miami called me. I was living in Chile at the time and he's like, Hey, why don't you come up to Miami and um, start this business with me? I need an analyst. And I'm like, cool. And since I was moving from Chile to Miami, some friends, um, all my friends worked in television in Chile Uh, and they were like, Hey, you need to hang out with this group of people um, and part of it was kind of like this old MTV crew, um, Christian Jofre, Mara Farina, Walter Zamora. Uh, it was, and they were all super nice to me. And I discovered that there was this thing called television programming. <laughs> um, and I think um, uh, it was like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, you know, you just, you like decide what goes on at what time. And I'm like, what do you, that's a job? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that's a job. I'm like, what? Like my whole mind was blown. I'm like, that's crazy. And so um, I met the people at Locomotion, which was a Cisneros television group channel. Um, and it was an anime channel. And I went into interview for like a position that they opened in the tape library when um, you used to do <laughs> tapes beta tape. and not beta tapes, right? Everything's digital now. Uh, so it's funny. And I think they hired me because I think that was the first time they interviewed someone that knew what like Ghost in the Shell was and Evangelion was and Akira. And they couldn't believe that they met someone that knew that. And so I started in the tape library, rolling the out in Hero, out in Hialeah, like literally taking from taking like the cart of tapes over to like the Masterflex where they were like put them up so they would beam them out on the satellite. Um that's that's funny so you say crazy. that. That's funny you say that because Gabby and I's first job in the industry was also tape operating. So that's really yep. really <laughs> funny you say that. Yeah, yep. you learn so much. You learn so you like learning what like what it takes to get a show out to the customers, right? To out to your audience. It's you know, and you're like you're really understanding the different um, pieces that are that put together, like beaming out signals. I was doing it for the live news, so it was even crazier. Because oh my if god! I, if I messed up one of the tapes and I didn't put it in on time, it would literally like mess everyone up. So it was very crazy. And I was doing it for so. soccer, live soccer shows. Uh, so yeah, people would be really pissed if I put in the wrong tape. <laughs> <laughs> How funny! That's bad. But do That's you guys crazy. do you guys remember also though back in the day whenever we you have to well I don't know Javier in your case but in my case you had to run to FedEx to drop off the last tape so that it can go on the plane to New York to go to the NLC. Do you guys ever did you have to do any of that or no? Or am I just really really dating so, myself? I mean I remember No, the no, NLC. no. So we were yeah, I remember that I mean I know when I moved out of locomotion that all our stuff was out of the NLC, but the Cisneros group was in uh, Miami. So I was waiting for that FedEx tape. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny. From the Japanese when they, and it was like, you, I learned like, you know, the Japanese animation had, I, I can't remember, but like, I think like 
US television is like 24 second per frames. I think that's probably changed. And then it's like, they were like 39 and we had all of these technical problems. A lot of important, it was very important at the time and seemed very, uh, there's like a lot of emergencies around that. Yeah. It but was okay, since, since you met all the, those MTV people, that's how you met Fernando? Is that how it happened? No, 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 uh, no, no. Gabby's always okay, trying okay. to get the love no, story. That's yeah, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Okay, we can get to but but Mara, she was my first boss. I was I interned yeah. for her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's really, great. yeah, yeah. She's awesome. She's yeah. awesome. She's so, so I started in production she's doing news now. Oh yeah, yeah, she's doing news now at Univision. Oh, cool. Guys, it's such a small world, especially like in the in the South Florida area. So, what was actually your your breakthrough moment? in your career. So you started off as a tape operator, then what was your trajectory after that? So, you know, like, you know, like working mergers and acquisitions for JP Morgan to tape operators, kind of people are like, what? But that was the ground in into an industry that um, I really wanted to be a part of. And uh, I think I showed determination, you know, no ego about the work I was doing. And, um, position to open up in the programming department and um, acquiring content. And I think they were just like, wait, you know about contracts? You know how to do an Excel sheet? You know how to talk to finance? And um, so, and I knew a lot about content, a lot about Japanese animation, and that's what they were looking for. And I was like, hey, we should be thinking about, you know, we should be talking about this show and looking for that show. And so I got promoted into a court programming coordinator and you know dumb luck my boss couldn't go to that year's MIPCOM um and so I got sent alone to like the go negotiate you know content deals with different Japanese distributors um and did a good job I had the skills as far as what I knew what we could pay for um I had um, already chosen what type of content we were looking for, had a real strategy to execute against. And um, yeah, I haven't looked back since. But, but that was you, like a big break. How did you prepare for that? Like, okay, because that's like an opportunity that you took on. Your boss couldn't go, but you took on the chance. Yeah. How did you prepare yourself to be ready to take that chance and kill it? How you did that? Do you remember? Um, I think I was super scared, right? Um, I'm not going to lie, like, I hate at that time and age, I hated going to dinner by myself. I was like, really like, I was never the person to talk in meetings and people are like, what? But, but it was for real. Um, I think what had prepared me was I went to, um, I had done all the work at JP Morgan, right? The analyst program there is really tough and really rigorous. Um, so they really teach you about how, um, what are you setting up for? What are your goals? What are you looking for? So I knew we we're going to a huge international market where we were going to see a lot of um, different distributors from Japan that have the content that we're looking for. So just researching with the team and understanding what were the content needs. Um, and then taking it upon myself to watch television. I think that's so important for an executive in um, working in television is actually, do you like watching TV? Do you enjoy what you are putting in front of your audience? So you took, you took your passion, you made it into a career. You've yeah. apparently been very successful. What is your current role now as creative lead and exactly what does that entail? 
So I'm head of local originals for Spanish-speaking Latin America at Amazon Studios. So my team right now, we're responsible for commissioning shows, right? So we go out, um, proactively look for pitches or take pitches from different creators around South America, Mexico, and Mexico, right? And our responsibility is to take that pitch that idea, develop it, and our team look works with the different writers and creative producers, and getting those and writing the scripts and getting all of this uh, the show ready. Basically, writing the Bible and the script ready for green light, mm-hmm. and then uh, we work with our physical production partners um, and getting a budget together, and then um, uh, bring it in front of our leadership for green light. And that entails, you know, not only is the creative solid, is it a great story that we want to tell, but, you know, is it something that it's going to drive, you know, new customers, new subscribers, and are people going to engage with that? How do you, how do you pick those pitches though? Because I'm sure that you guys get pitched all the time. How do you? All the time. Yeah. How do you pick that? The stories that you want to actually tell? So... What's been really different for me working at Amazon is um, they're like their number one principle. And I even notice like I say it in like regular speak um, is customer obsession. Like they're, it's really about that. They're really into this kind of thing. What, what does the customer like? What does the customer want? And they take all of those customer reviews you see on the site super seriously really that's uh, really good to hear though that's really yeah good. it's really it's a real honest thing i you know i've drank in the kool-aid and but it's 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 true and i think that customer obsession translates into what does the mexican audience want what does the colombian audience want what does the argentine audience want um so i'm focusing that's what we focus on is finding what's that real local storytelling that's going to really connect with that audience. I'm not worried about whether or not that show is going to work in all of South America, right? Like maybe a lot of us did in the 90s and the early 2000s when we're working on those huge cable channels that had one feed. You had to worry about whether it's going to connect with the Mexican audience. Is it going to connect with the Colombian audience? You know, and it's hard and you start fabricating things that probably, stories that probably don't feel really organic, Right? right, that don't you're like uh, oh, I'm putting these different cast members together because they're from different countries and that resonate. But if the story isn't real or true, then you're not going to catch the audience regardless. I regardless they, agree they, with you. And people are smart enough; they know it, they get it. Right, you know, they so, really see it. So you guys take it like a, as a market approach, like you go market for market, like creating content for each specific market, not like the region. Exactly. Wow. It's so liberating. Yeah, because there's so many parameters when you want to speak to an entire region rather than like a market that, you know, has the same accent, can, you know, relate to certain, you know, um, dialect or like sayings or et cetera. So. Right. And a lot of a lot of other networks, they they put, you know, somebody that's from Mexico, from Colombia, like you're saying, from all different places. And then the shows just don't do well because there's no the chemistry is not the same. And like you're saying, the viewers they're they're smart they want more than that they they know what they want so that's really a a really good creative strategy yeah I think what's been like what's been fun is um also I think younger audiences are a lot more savvy 
and they're a lot more open to different accents around the world. So I think the what's been funny for me to learn is the Chilean accent isn't as hated as much as I thought. Um, we did a show called La Jauria, um, which is out of Chile. Um, it's about gender violence. Um, and it's just really compelling with all of these really young, amazing actresses from Chile. And it did really well all across uh, Latin America for us. And it was exciting to see because it was a strictly Chilean story. It happened in like a Chilean high school with like top Chilean talent. We weren't trying to play into any other country. Right. And 10 years and, ago, that wouldn't have happened. No right. network would have greenlit that. So that's amazing. Yeah, I think people connected to that story, right? I think it, also human stories transcend, right? Like a lot of women were fa are like, you know, we're finally talking about the, you know, even like the daily microaggressions you might face. That's right. And as, and you know, honestly, I love watching international shows. Like I watch a lot of Spanish shows and, and I can relate, like they're very modern now, you know, like they're like super like things that I can relate to and with characters that are compelling and fun. And, and although, you know, obviously it's a different cultural reference, but I mean, we all kind of like go through the same thing, you know? So I think it's important to like just have those touch points that people can relate to, make it relatable if you wanted to come out of the market and be more like right. for people to like it everywhere, you know? Right. Have you ever had a show that just kind of breaks through and comes to like Amazon Prime, just like US or does that, does that happen like or crossover? it just stays? Yeah. We're, so we're working on that, right? Um, I think there's that's um, that's the next step for us. Um, so we haven't had the um, we're having those conversations right now. How do we talk to the Latinx, Latina, U.S. Hispanic audience? Um, so that's so a whole different ball game, yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. um, it is, it is, and it, you know, it's not a monolith, and you, there's a lot of education that goes around. Um, People who haven't watched that demo yet. Mm -hmm. Exactly. How many projects do you usually work in at one time, though? Because I know that it, that it can also be very <laughs> overwhelming, you know, like in, a, in the course of a fiscal year, about how many projects are you working on? So we're, um, you know, we, we're like a super not quantitative, like we're not, a, like we're not talking about big numbers at Amazon, right? We really want to go for like a certain like, quality show for the audience um but saying that you know we're you know you have we have over you know 30 or 40 more projects in different development stages right now and um and uh and I have like seven shows in production at the moment <laughs> uh and that's happening all across Latin America, right? Not just in one place. So we have things going on in Mexico, things starting up in Colombia. And then um, we found this great haven in Uruguay for uh, filming shows uh, and getting all of like, and being COVID free. Because that like, that's, that's just a whole other battle. Exactly. And I was just going to actually mention that, how difficult it's been to, to do productions in COVID times. Because I know that for myself, there's a lot of moving pieces to get a, something like production rolling, right? With talent, with COVID testing, with making sure that you're following safety precautions. How has all of that been? So um, we have, you know, safety first always. 
uh, we have these amazing protocols and we actually um, got a show done, um, El Juego de las Llaves, season two. Um, Wait, with, uh, is that with, with no COVID? That's amazing. Is that with uh, Maite Peroni? Yeah, that that's with Maite, Maite Peroni. Pantai, yeah, she has, I Pantai it. has it in the U.S. Oh, thanks. We and love I love it. Maite. I work with her uh, at Warner. Uh, she's, a, you know, she's a, obviously a singer yeah. too. And um, I saw it. It's so good. See, I've been watching all of your shows, girl. <laughs> yeah. See, <laughs> she's. It was really Maite's good. A, she is like, yeah, she's an amazing. She's like just an amazing talent and um, she turned up for that work role. ethic. She did a great. Yeah, she like, did because she she was like a totally different person than she really is. You know. Yeah. She had to yes. turn up for that role, you know. Um, and she and did it. Was it was great. She did it. She owned it. Good job on that. Yeah, Congrats. she did it. We really believed in her. And um, she's been so amazing, like, um, thankful for saying that we took a chance. And I was like, what are you talking about? You killed it. But nobody took a chance. <laughs> she's amazing. She's such a good-hearted person. I really like her a lot. Congrats yeah. on that one. So, Thank yeah, you. you were saying about... Um, the, the pandemic stuff, no? Like the protocols? Yep. Yeah, it's just being, you know, it's real. So we did Juego um, with, um, you know, extreme protocols that are, you know, keeping everybody safe. But they got done with no um, no uh, COVID cases, right? Or right. at least a few that happened didn't lead to any type of community spread because we had great protocols. It's just being really responsible and... Um, yeah, committed every to precaution. doing that. Absolutely. I, I'm dealing with that right now. And it's, it's, it's difficult because it's like a puzzle piece that you have to put together. Um, but if you're diligent and you're making sure that everybody's safe, you're going to be fine. And as long as everybody's following protocol, wear your masks, everyone's going to be fine. Yeah. So what yeah. is the most, what do you think is the most important element for having a successful show besides just being able to, to pick the right pitch, right? To, to greenlight the right project. What makes a show successful? So it's funny. I think I love that question because it's um, every time I take a pitch um, and, you know, it's time for the questions. My first question to the creator is like, why do you want to tell the story? Right. Because I think if the people who are writing it and creating it, if they don't believe in it and if it's just they're kind of going for some kind of like, oh, um, you know how many pitches we got where it's just kind of like, well, you know, with me too, you know, this has a strong female lead. And you could tell they didn't really believe in that story, right? Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like, oh, this is what's trendy right now. And this is what we wanted to do. I think what makes a great, what makes a great story and the successes that we've had is the passion behind the people who are creating it. The writers, they they really want to tell this story. And I think that's what you feel when you're like excited by a project. They're excited to tell it. And they have a real reason to tell it. Speaking of that, though, what have you have you as a, a female in the industry, have you faced any challenges? And how did you push through? Because um, I can only imagine that you're you're one of the you're in the beginning of your career, you were probably one of the only women in the room. Yeah, and sometimes still am. Um, I, you know, maybe younger in my career I did and it's stuff that you just brush off. And I think what's been really exciting for me is the younger generation, and I'm including you guys, 
are, are challenging us, right? I think are challenging my generation to kind of not accept um, mansplaining or not accept certain treatment, um, which is like so empowering for me and so refreshing. Like I think I was in a meeting and um, with some of the women on my team and the guy who was pitching was just like, oh, congratulations to have a like all woman team. That's so cool. And like right away, she's like, that's super condescending. Yeah, good. <laughs> like that's not him. And I was like, oh, because I was like smiling and be like, oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And then, like, yeah. And then you're like, yeah, it's, it is condescending. <laughs> right. It's so good for me to have these younger women, t- you know, showing this kind of way to like be like, hey, you, that's not cool. Right. And do you ever, growing up, suffer from the famous imposter syndrome that we continue to talk about? Um, You know, I feel like we all have been, you know, whether feeling like we're not supposed to be at the table, but we are. I don't know. Like, it's always interesting to me to ask the women that come on the podcast how they dealt with that and if they have overcome it. Some have, some haven't, some don't experience it at all, but I'd like to take your take on it. I'll be super honest. All day, every day, I still deal with it. I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm always like looking around. I was like, wait, I think like I had a moment where I was asked a question and the room just kind of like changed and was like, yeah, Javiera's right. And I was like, what? I am? (laughs) I am? Yeah, I'm right. I, I, I'm right. I'm right. <laughs> you know, and then like someone, um, someone else wrote me and they're like, you know, your opinion really matters. You need to be careful on how, on what you're saying. And I was like, what? Okay. You know, like there was a certain weight about um, opinion I was giving on, uh, I think it was like on a promotion for somebody. I can't remember. But and you- but you you like are experiencing it, but you're getting through it, which is the important thing. Yeah, I mean, like full disclosure, I'm like actually working on it in therapy because I think it, what, it holds you back sometimes. Like I what, think a hundred percent. What has your therapist said? Because shoot, I think everyone suffers from this, but only women. It's crazy. Men do not. Men suffer from the opposite. They're too confident. It's like <laughs> slow it they down. shouldn't be right. <laughs> Right, right. What I always get is like memes from friends where it's just like, just act like an average, uh, an average white guy who got C's in college. Exactly. <laughs> Something silly like that. I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of like, um, I think it's just doing the recognition. Um, that's what I'm working on. It's, you know, I earned this seat at the table. It's not, I'm, I'm not here um, because I'm cute. Or because I'm filling some kind of like requirement or checking some kind of box, but I earned it because of the experience I have. Mm. And I think one of the mistakes that we always make um, as women is like, oh, my intuition, my intuition. And I think great intuition comes from years of good experience, right? You, you're making this decision because you've been doing the work. You, you've watched the television shows, you've, uh, programmed a channel you've uh read a bunch of scripts you've worked with different writers um you've gone through this type of of conflict yeah you've dealt with this sort of conflict before or there's a precedent to it like you've lived it before or there's something you can and I think that's empowering when you do have that experience that can that can guide you along 
and that can help you make those decisions. Um, yep. And that only comes with time and with wisdom. And and what do you think makes a woman leader like stand out or like valuable in a team? Because I love the fact that you have all girls, and I'm sure they all look up to you to become a leader one day as well. And I think obviously there is a lack of women in television and the in the positions that you're in. Why is it important to have more women representation? I think, you know, Kamala is saying it best, right? I'm I'm breaking the glass ceiling, but I'm turning around and extending my hand. Yeah. Right. So I think it's a responsibility. Uh, it's my responsibility to then promote the different women on my team, right? And to give that opportunity. And I think it goes across for all leaders. It's not. I think there was a time, at least when I was coming up. It was like a lot of competition and, um, um, uh, you know, yeah, cattiness that just doesn't, doesn't really work. I'm like, I'm always looking to hire someone that I think is smarter than me because I think they're going to teach me and that makes me a better leader. And plus, if they do great work, then I just look even smarter because I hired that person. So that's my, that's been my motto um, for a while now. It's like, I want the best and the brightest in the room with me. But what I've noticed, though, um, in the in the past few years, is that women are championing women now. There's not as much cattiness anymore. I think that exactly. we all have more compassion towards each other, and we want to see each other rise up. Um, so that's really beautiful to see, especially in the industry, because it's a tough industry to be in. Um, it is. What What has been your most valuable lesson that you've learned over the past 15 years that you can share with our listeners? I think it's the one that I'm still working on, right? Is trusting yourself. Um, is really, it, that's, I think it's such hard work for all of us, mm-hmm. right? There's so much that um, you're dealing with every day and it's just kind of like trusting, trusting I know this, I, uh, I know what I'm talking about. I think that's been the biggest lesson for me and um, trusting the, pro- you know, I am prepared. I am, I, am, I know what I am talking about. It's, um, it's finding that confidence and owning it. Owning it. But, I mean, owning it, but sometimes, like you like you said, it gets in your head when you're younger because you don't have that um, experience. Um, but even if you don't have the experience, just for the girls listening that are in college or whatever, I think confidence is in the way that you sit, in the way that you talk, you speak loud. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to know it all. But I think sometimes it's just like how you carry yourself. Right. And don't be afraid to ask questions, right? Don't be afraid to ask, hey, don't, you know, and don't give up. Don't get frustrated. Keep knocking on that door. Keep reaching out to people. Doors are going to open. And that's right. I think Gabby says it best. It's like that confidence and being like, hey, I'm here. I want to learn. And then also having the humility to be like, I don't know everything, but I work hard. Yes. Nobody is going to look at you bad if you ask a question or you say, I don't know how to do this. I tell my niece that all the time because I feel like like younger girls coming up feel like they have to know the answer or, oh my yeah. God, what if I don't know? Like nobody expects you to know at an intern level. They know you don't know. So it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to ask questions. Have a notebook and write it down because if you continue to ask the same question, then that's, a, that's an issue. <laughs> then, I, then I'm going to have an issue with that. So yeah. um, what advice would you give someone waiting to follow in your footsteps? Gosh, 
That's a good one. I have I, I didn't even thought about that one. Um, do you like love love what you do? Love television because um, I'm working I'm working uh, more than twelve hour days, right? And reading scripts on the weekend. So and um and I love it. Like I can't complain. It's your like, passion. I enjoy it. Yeah, like, you really have to. Yeah, you have to really. If you really want to get into this, you have to really like it. Who are some women in your life that you look up to, and why? So, um, the Amazon team, at least on the local original side, it's all women, and um, they've been like a real it's source of inspiration. Um, they, everyone comes from kind of like different. Uh, different parts of the industry. And it's just really cool to see them kind of passionate about bringing up um, like my Brazilian car uh, counterpart, uh, Malu Miranda. She's like, I'm here to tell diverse Brazilian stories. And she's, she's doing it. And like, and it's, and she's doing it that, and she knows that it's going to attract new customers for the service. And it's exciting, you know, like, um, we just dropped um, a trailer for September mornings and it's about a black trans woman in Brazil who discovers um, her son shows up and it's like a super different story, but it's really well done and it's, and, and it's entertaining. It's not kind of like this, like niche. Content. So that's exciting to see these different women advocating for storytellers from their region. So I'm admiring that a lot, right? You're not not bringing like U.S. showrunners to do a show in Mexico, right? Right, because right, they know their culture. They know like what stories are relevant mm-hmm. in their in their market. Yeah, I love that you said it's all women because <laughs> it's going to tell a lot about the the shows. Because I feel like women we're different. Like we are empathetic. We can you know be in someone else's shoes. Not that men can't, but. Men could be a little more programmatic. We're a little bit more like on work on emotion, some of us. And so I think that's where the beautiful storytelling comes from, no? From picking those stories that truly evoke. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think my my biggest thing is, and like if I'm being like harsh to myself, I'm like, oh, I'm manipulating people to tell good stories. But if I'm being positive and helpful, I'm like, hey, I'm here to help that storyteller tell tell his best story or her best story um, and getting them to like connect their characters with an audience. So you're right. It's like a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of time that you have like long conversations um, with different creatives because, you know, they're putting their heart out to you. So you have to know how to manage those relationships and yeah. And not hurt feelings because at the end of the day, it's like artists, you know, it's their art. And it's like you're telling them, hey, you might want to edit this or maybe take it here, take it there. And it's like, "Mm, you don't want to be like, this sucks. And then it's really like messes up the whole project. Yeah, you can't be aggressive. What about in your personal life? What women inspire you? And who do you look up to? So um, I always look up to my godmother. She's kind of a badass. Yeah, I think, um, you know, she thought she was marrying into really hoity-toity family. Um, It didn't turn out that way, and she just pulled herself up, Um, was a teacher, 
And um, I was just telling the story, which is so funny. So, you know, it's a teacher and then starting her own catering business on the side and was like the main breadwinner for her family and like five kids for uh, most of that family's life. Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And like all of my cousins are fabulous people. It's just, I like, I, I really admire ordinary women who are doing just incredible things every day you know making being great moms or being great bosses um it's so special I think it's so needed right now I want to ask you something because I struggle with this and I've been looking for the answer over the past year now that I've had Riley how do you balance being a mom and working being an executive at the same time because Girl, it's hard. Sometimes I feel like I'm a really good mom, usually it's, Saturdays and Sundays. But then on Monday through Friday, I feel like I'm not giving enough to my family. So how do you balance that? It's super hard. I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not balancing it, right? Um, and I think that's it's, what we it's need to It's super tough talk about. because, you know, and we really do. People need to... Um, it's hard. Like when I first started at Amazon, I think I was one of the only uh, married women with kids, regardless of all the things that we have come, that have come up and we're pushing the envelope. I think still the burden of working moms, it's not balanced. But I think that the conversation needs it's to definitely be had not. and we need to, we need to be honest about it because my whole life I thought like you could, like you always were told you can do it all. You can have both. You can be good at both. You can balance both. It's bullshit, man. Some days you're going to be a really good mom and then some days you're really going to kick ass at your job and then some days you're not going to be that great at your job, but you're going to be a kick ass mom. And I think it's just finding the balance of understanding and being okay with that. Like you have to be okay every night when you go to sleep knowing that like you did your best. You're right. I think the conversation you have to, we have to be okay, but I think you, I think there is also a responsibility on our employers to give room for a better balance and then on our partners as well. True. So I know we started out this conversation talking about how awesome Fernando is and he is, you know, like I owe me dinner. <laughs> um, he takes the boys to school. And like we really are good about sharing the response, the fam the familial responsibilities. Like it doesn't all fall on me, so I can't. I'd be the, such a liar if I didn't um, mention that. Right. I think that's so important. And I, I'm lucky that way. Yeah, yeah. That's so important, especially for like boss girls out there. Like you need to be married to somebody that understands that you can't do it all, and it has to be shared. Like. Because it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't. I can't even imagine having kids and all these the responsibility you guys have. Right. Add it to and, the rest of the workday. And it's I work tough. so much. So mm -hmm. imagine. Yeah. And you 12-hour days, Javiera, like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little nuts right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is your proudest accomplishment to date? Oh, wow. So personally, it was – it's something that was really recent. Um my sibling came down to spend spring break last year with us and um, they got caught up with COVID here in Miami with us. Uh, and um, um, she started her transition and it was because she felt like she had a really uh, a safe place and a home. And that was like, that's been my proudest moment as a, as a person right today, right now was like having 
feeling that there was a real safe space for her to finally make that decision and start hormone therapy. She's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, she's a so gorgeous. Yeah. Does she, I'm a little is jealous. She, yeah, right? Does she, is she just, an, does she act <laughs> and sing or she act, she's an actress, right? Yep. She's an actor and she's sitting at Juilliard right now. So yeah, you know. Amazing. Total. So you're saying that, about what she like, does. that the moment that she was with you during that time, like it made her feel so safe and so like connected that she was able to, to make that full on decision. Yep. She had been working on it for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, she had um, told us it was non-binary years ago, and she was super mad at me because I was like, if you post a picture and you put me and the Balmaceda boys, I'm going to cut you. And I'm like, okay, 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 I get it. Oh, you know, and yeah. she's taught me so much. Um, and I think she just, like, she'd been working on it a long time, and I think it was just a place of, uh, I gave her a home, you know, she didn't have to worry about dinner, she didn't have to worry about lunch and Wi-Fi and you know, and stayed with us for like three months and then came back and stayed in a couple of more months with us. That's beautiful. I think at the end of the day, um, family is always number one. And and it's beautiful to, that you have so many talented siblings. You have another sibling that's super talented. Pedro. Um, he kind of is yeah. like everywhere, huh? <laughs> He's kind of a big deal. He's kind of <laughs> a big little deal. bit of a yeah, big deal him. right now. Yeah, I'm so proud of him. Like, so, if you want to talk about someone who really didn't give up on his passion, that's him. Where can everyone keep up with you? You can follow me on Twitter, Javiera72. Thank you, Javiera, so much. Um, honestly, that's amazing that you come from such an artistic family. And we're going to be keeping up with your siblings, with you. So um, thank you for coming on the show. Yes, thank you so thank much. Thank you, guys. This is so much fun. Have a great day. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. We'll talk soon. Bye. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Hosted by Alex and Gabby. I love you guys. Oh, yeah.